DJ PK, time now to talk with one of our favorites. Kiss Chris Camrani joins us. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. So secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Chris, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing? Well, as usual, I'm confused, and PK's trying to straighten me out, but I think it's really going to take you. <laughs> so <clears throat> you went to the Athletic, and you were writing about the Utes. But then mm-hmm. the Olympics came around, and you were writing a lot of features. Mm-hmm. But now you've written some Utes. So are you uh, just staying, ver- staying versatile and valuable? Was that a temporary deal? Or are you, with the Olympics already only like, uh, I don't know, 18 months away or something to the Winter Games, you going to do both? What's, what's your deal? <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me that, DJ, I'd be a very rich man. Nice. <laughs> um, my deal is is uh, my job has changed a little bit at The Athletic. I'm more of just a wide-ranging features writer, um, not hyper-focused to the local scene um, anymore. I kind of have the the runway to pursue stories not only you know here in Utah but nationally and internationally if I want to. Um, the The story that ran yesterday was something that had been done for a few months. They just kind of wanted to hold it with the proximity of the college football calendar coming up. And yeah, so that, that is my deal. I'm, I'm still gainfully employed by The Athletic, which is a great place for me to work. And luckily, they've given me the pathway to do what I feel like I'm decent at. And yeah, I'm just a very privileged, lucky man. Well, Chris, you're not only decent at it, you're as good as there is at it, honestly. I mean, you're a storyteller of the truest form, so I could see why they'd have you do that. And I've told you this before. I think you're just absolutely marvelous at it, and it is your calling. And that's where you're going to get, they're going to get their most value, is to have you tell stories in print form. Because literally, I don't think I've read anybody better. So I'm glad that you're doing that, because it's what you should be doing, because you're so darn good at it. Um... The thing that you spoke of, the story that ran, was the Colton Swan story, who's a linebacker coach. I assume that's the one you're talking about, the linebacker coach at the University of Utah, who went to Weber on a rodeo scholarship, I believe. And I don't even think that I knew that that existed until I saw that. And so tell us, uh, Swan's a great interview. Every time I've interviewed him, probably, you know, six or seven times, he's been there a couple years now. He's got a lot of energy and he's direct and he's quotable and articulate and all that. So I find it fascinating that he's still doing the rodeo. Tell us about that story. Well, first off, the check is in the mail. PK, I'm just dropping it <laughs> off. I'm out, in the, I'm out in the rain right now, just getting wet. Um, secondly, yeah, no, so uh, when, when Colton was hired uh, before the start of the 2019 season, that was around the time I was hired at The Athletic a few months later that summer. And back then, my full-time job was being the beat writer of the Utes. And, you know, your first first thing you should do is you should be, you know, reading up and researching on people that might have interesting stories. And sure enough, I go to Utah's website and in his bio, it says that Colton Swan went to Weber State on a rodeo scholarship. And like you, I had no idea that that was even a possibility. So start kicking the tires with the SID department and, you know, say like, is there an avenue that I could, you know, sit down in Colton and, and talk to him about what this era of his life was like. And I come to find out that that era is nowhere near over. He still <laughs> competes in team roping events across the Intermountain West any chance he gets. 
um, every summer. And uh, this was actually a story that was targeted to be done in the summer of 2020. But as we know, COVID kind of derailed um, lots of lots of plans. So I had to keep this thing on the back burner for a while. And luckily enough, um, through the uh, cooperation of Colton and the SID department, we were able to kind of nail down an ideal time to go watch him compete. And it turns out I got to go to lovely Rock Springs, Wyoming. Great place. I would recommend visiting there 10 times out of 10 and got to kind of glean um, a lot about this guy who's a pretty unique person, not only a football coach that I think a lot of people believe is one of the you know, really good young and up-and-coming assistant coaches on the West Coast, but also a guy who um, has a really fascinating backstory as an underdog from a small town in Idaho who kind of had to really work his way up uh, uh, not only the football scene, but also the rodeo scene as well. So I think it would be a safe assumption then that the toughness that it takes to compete in rodeo and get uh, battered and bruised and all that kind of stuff translates well to linebackers coach. I mean, he was made to do this. I mean, listen, the the stories that I heard about this guy growing up, um, yes, the answer is yes. And I think there, there's a, uh, a differentiation between rodeo cowboys and actual cowboys. And I learned this because Colton told me this. There are cowboys who get to have, you know, the luxury of living the life that they get to travel around and, and compete to win money um, in various disciplines on the rodeo circuit, which is tough. I get it. But there are also cowboys who grow up actually ranching and waking up at 3 a.m. and, you know, digging fence posts and resetting fence and all of this stuff that Colton did with his grandfather um, on his 10,000 acre farm in southwest Idaho growing up. So like Colton kind of had both um, experiences. He grew up understanding what it was like to run a a cattle ranch, literally, um, with his grandfather and his brothers, but also, you know, translated a lot of that skill set to competing in high school rodeos in Idaho and eventually, um, you know, made it to Weber on a a rodeo scholarship. And yeah, I mean, I, I think if you've never been to a rodeo, I think Nothing against, I mean, football is different. I would say like, you know, rodeo folk are, are, are tougher on the whole just because it's, it's a very unforgiving lifestyle. It's not guaranteed. You, 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 pu- you pour so much time and effort and money into something that might not pay out. You know, you're, you're gassing up your horse trailer, you're gassing up your truck, you're driving to basically any potential spot that can help you sustain a very unique lifestyle and frankly a, a dated lifestyle that we don't get to see that much anymore. So it was really, really rad to be able to go out there and, <laughs> and, and see that this is very much still part of the culture of, of uh, this country. It was really cool. This is changes subjects uh, and I don't know what you can address on it, but I wanted to bring it up because as I've been following stuff with all this conference thing that's been going on with mm. the Texas and Oklahoma and a potential alliance uh, among these other conferences, what do you got, the 12, or no, the Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, it seems like the Athletic is really, really committed to staying all over this stuff and mm-hmm. trying to find out as much information. And that's, from my perspective anyway, is what I've been able to observe. Uh, have you had conversations with people who are involved in this? Because it seems like they're doing a really good job of trying to keep abreast of all the news. 
Yeah, I mean, the the folks at the college football vertical at The Athletic has really kind of led the way, I think, in terms of covering the hard news side of this. You know, colleagues like Max Olson and Nicole Auerbach, Chris Vanini, all the way down to some of the beat writers in the Big 12 and SEC country, they've, they've just done a phenomenal job. And it's it's really cool to be able to see in real time because these folks are really, really good at what they do. And, um, you know, I think so much of this job usually normally is not easy, but, you know, there, there is a there's a pattern that you fall into with seasons and, you know, ebbs and flows of, of new cycles. But this year with the NIL developments and then kind of the, the bombshell of Texas and Oklahoma leaving, so many of the folks at The Athletic have been tasked with really just kind of, you know, digging into the old hard news style uh, reporter chops. And they've, they've just done a phenomenal job doing it. And um, I, you know, haven't really been pulled into much of that yet. Maybe I will be later on down the line. I don't know. But from an outsider's perspective, it's, uh, it's something else to see. I mean, I think, like, I, I, I guess the model is <laughs> – as much as college football fans want to believe that they're exactly like European soccer fans, because I know the crossover is so obvious. It's just, I think it's in a, a going to eventually become a pseudo champions league style event where you are only really pitting the, the, the quote unquote best of the best across the country with each other. And we're going to start seeing some angling soon guys. I mean, sooner or later, everybody's going to put their chips on the table to try to, attach themselves the tentacles are going to be out and it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing plays out well there's been a lot written about the four million games i the the game that can get four million viewers is a big event in college football well you have to have the best teams play the best teams to get that but if the best teams only play the best teams then suddenly you're going to have blue blood programs struggling to get to 500 so do you think the elite are really going to separate themselves or do you think the elite are going to make sure they play some big money games, maybe a few more than they have been. Maybe the SEC playing 10 conference games was a little sign towards the future, but Hey, it's worth having uh, Illinois and uh, <laughs> Rutgers and Oregon state and uh, whoever else around. Cause you need some W's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be a, um, crossroads moment in that a lot of powerhouses are going to have to decide between payouts and, you know, competitive potential, because we know that the cream of the crop, the the top, you know, 5%, your Bama's, your Georgia's, Ohio State's, Oklahoma's, Texas's, whomever, they're always going to be in the mix. But um, these other folks that you're bringing with you, what I mean, I think, unfortunately, they just won't have as much, you know, saying power because they will just have been felt lucky enough to be brought along. And uh, unfortunately, I, I'm, I fear that that's going to be the case. But um, you make a great point. I mean, how are you going to sell to so many of these other fan bases that are, going to, that are going to, in theory, be involved when they're likely just brought along to be, I don't want to say kind of like, the, the, the doormat for the rest of these powerhouses. But listen, guys, I, I think, especially in this country, we're obsessed with perennial winners. We have no concept of what it's like to really work hard for 
earning something. And that's why I think like the, the comparison to the, the European soccer model is so spot on is because over there, like you just feel lucky enough to be in the conversation. I mean, that, that is a win in of itself. Whereas here, if your team isn't competing to be a national champion every year, your fan base is so delusional that they're like, why should I care? I, I mean, I, I honestly think that most fan bases operate in that realm of logic. And I think it's a very flawed realm of logic, but it's a reality nonetheless. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen to the Pac-12 as we know it, because one of the things that works against them you know, financially and having to play these late games I think going forward from a television perspective can actually possibly even save them because they do have that late window that they can utilize. But at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, the blue bloods that you speak of, the big dogs, so to speak, in the Pac-12, if they see, well, Texas and Oklahoma did something outrageous, what can we do? Is there a possibility of us maybe even forming their own little conglomeration even if it's just four teams or whatever I, you, the possibilities are somewhat endless to a degree uh, what do you what is your thought as far as the future of the pac-12 because it seems like it can go in a number of different directions yeah i mean my colleague max olson reported last week that there have been talks between the pac-12 big 10 and the acc and that you know they're very preliminary but <laughs> all the cards are on the table and um, I think it's a cliche and it's getting overused, but people just don't want to be left behind. And from a Pac-12's perspective, um, they're going to have to figure out, um, you know, how they can maintain staying power. I agree with you that maybe the certain time slots work in their favor going forward, but I think there is also a world, guys, in which individual schools might be looking out for 1A and 1B, and usually 1A and 1B are themselves, and um, there could be a world in which things splinter apart, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, there, the pressure that is money and um, you know attention, national attention, TV deals, just being included, the feel of inclusion is going to be a very heavy draw for presidents and chancellors and, you know, boards across the Pac-12 footprint. And um, we're just going to have to see how this thing plays out. So, so much for this whole collegiality thing, huh? (laughs) That's gone. I mean, mean, did it ever really exist, though, guys? I mean, I think everybody was just faking it the whole time. Let's be honest. Finally, the mask is is ripped off. It, It took too long. There were too many decades in which we were pretending that we were all high and mighty. But no, I mean, at the end of the day, this thing was always about the, the dollar, the mighty dollar and who can get paid and who can compete. And the rea- I mean, like the NCAA is, you know, its own fallacy in and of itself. Well, we'll leave it right there, Chris. We have uh, appreciate having you on. Can you tell us what the next thing is, or will that mess it up? Someone will mess up your story if everyone knows what you're working on. Uh, no, I mean, it's going to be everything. Like, there will be some, you know, some NBA-related, you know, big-picture, you know, long-form stuff in the near future. Um, really, anything that I find interesting, I'll be able to kind of um, tackle, and it will be a lot of random stuff. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still, you know, calling Salt Lake home, so when, when need be, I'll be pulled in, but... Um, there will there will be stuff, and I'm sure that um, I will be lucky enough to be back on the show pretty soon.
<laughs> Thanks, Chris. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Chris Kimrani, you can read him in The Athletic. DJ and PK, we got Dick Harmon coming up, sports columnist for the Deseret News. He's going to be talking BYU football with us at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.